guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hello? Hi, Melissa? CJ? It's me! Oh my god! I'm so happy you're here. I'm back. I loved last episode so much I had to come back. (laughs) Well, here we are. We're back for episode two. We survived another week and um, we're here for more entertainment, women and wine. Women and wine. My two favorite things. Mine too. Yeah. Also Parmesan cheese, but... And um, brie cheese and oysters. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is the sisterhood of... The Bottomless Mimosa. Hey. Hey. Thank you for returning to episode two. Yeah. Well, you know, Melissa, you left us kind of with a cliffhanger because last we heard at the end of the previous podcast was that you were fighting with your garbage disposal. Yeah. And I think our listeners want to know how that turned out. Well, it took a solid, like, an entire week for me to conquer the monster that was living in my apartment. And Mm. it turns out it was not the garbage disposal. It was not the spoiled turkey chili that I ate by accident and put down the drain and thought was just, like, creating um, some type of alien form in my sink it was something entirely different but it took me contacting the landlord who claimed he was out of town and couldn't come back in town until the 20th and he told me to just make do with the dying body in my apartment to which i said absolutely fucking not i will be dead by then from inhaling toxic fumes so what are my other options and he gave me the contact information to his plumber, who I had come over to my apartment when I was at work. Finally went to my apartment, like ransacked the place while I was gone, probably looked in my underwear drawer. And then he calls me and is like, I found nothing. I have no idea where it is, what it is. I searched the whole place, checked the sink, checked the garbage disposal, climbed under the building to see if there were any dead raccoons under there, and I found nothing. So I don't know what to tell you, but you're correct. There is a really horrendous smell in your apartment, and good luck. Bye. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, dude. Yeah. So I have no landlord, nor no plumber. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this smell that I cannot tolerate any longer? So then my brain started going in all types of different places, which is a typical Virgo thing. And I instantly assumed that my single male bachelor neighbor was dead in his apartment next door. And I was basically spending five days inhaling his dead body fumes and it like really started to bother me. And I had like, I had like concocted this game plan where I was like the next day I was going to climb up this fence and peek through his kitchen window and see if I could find his dead body on the floor. And the next morning came and I walked out of my apartment. I also hadn't seen him in seven days, which is strange because he works from home. So he's like always there. So instantly I was like, he's dead. And then I like walked outside to go to work and and there he was. I was like, oh my god. 
<sighs> Thank God, but also what the fuck is that smell? Okay, so then I was like, I'm not fucking around anymore. We're on day six of me inhaling this every day. I'm going to get down to biz. So I got some wine, ate some Chinese food, got down to biz, ransacked my whole apartment, realized it was coming from the refrigerator. So then I like obviously reached out to Google to see if Google had any advice. Google told me to pull my refrigerator out of the wall and that there is a like condensation trap that lives underneath the refrigerator that typically collects any excess water that could be dripping from the fridge or the freezer and that mice (gasps) find it and drink it to ingest and to get their h2o and that there is potential for a dead mouse to have drowned in that trap and to be rotting in my refrigerator compartment so i slapped on the gloves and went ham town and i pulled out that refrigerator mid-scream assuming to see a gigantic rat there was no rat but i found an entire tray of like thick moldy slime water that was rotten Oh my god <laughs> and i had to get a fucking screwdriver and get it like detach it from the machine and carry it to the sink without spilling it on my hands and i was almost on the verge of projectile vomiting everywhere the smell was atrocious but long story short it's down the drain i disinfected the entire place febreze the shit out of my apartment and now the odor has gone so did you then bottle up that liquid and sell it as Carlo Rossi? <laughs> oh my god! That's yes, so I put it on my next door neighbor's front porch because I despise her and <laughs> maybe she might be dead. Yeah, why didn't your brain go to her and hoping that she was the dead one? Because she has a stupid fat Nintendo like five-year-old kid upstairs that eats potato chips all day long and cusses when she's not home and he would have found her body first, so a I knew she was definitely Nintendo alive. Kid. <laughs> oh god, that was my life. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, that's foul. So it's been solved. No landlord helped me out. No Mm -hmm. plumber helped me out. Mm -hmm. No man out in the universe came by to help Mm -hmm. me out. This badass bitch handled it herself. And you better believe I rewarded myself with the rest of that boxed wine that was still good. Hell yeah, girl. And some walnut shrimp. And one day, a young woman is going to do a podcast about badass women and she's going to talk about this fucking story. She's going to be like, let me tell you about Melissa, who fucking found the nasty dank stank in her own kitchen without a man. Holla! <laughs> so yeah, and this actually occurred last night, so I'm feeling really good about myself this morning. Uh, what are you drinking now? Tell me it's not fridge water. No, it is not fridge water. Um, I am drinking an absolutely beautiful bottle. Well, I'm one of those people that like goes to the liquor store or the grocery store and like selects things purely based off of image. Absolutely. So like I like I don't even care what you're selling me if it looks good to my eyeballs. I'm buying it. Mm-hmm. And so obviously I was drawn to this like this bottle of red wine that has a skeleton on the front of it and it is titled dearly beloved <gasps> is that also from the t joes it is because that's like the only place i shop so this is quickly turning into a trader oh my god do you have trader joe's too 
Uh, I don't actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I have pretty much the exact opposite of what you have. But the reason I asked is because I used to drink that wine for yeah. the exact same reason. Yeah. For the Simply exact for same Prince. reason. Because senior year of college, if you'll recall, I lived not but a three minute walk away from Trader Joe's. Yes, I remember. Which was great when I was high as fuck and wanted to eat peanut mm-hmm. butter stuffed pretzels yes um and at that point in my life i was buying a lot of wines based on label alone because my body could handle anything i put in it but yeah i saw that dearly beloved and i'm like i wonder if that's a coincidence and then i picked it up and turned it around and the first thing i read was we are gathered here today and i was like sold okay sold what? motherfuckers okay tell us what you would pair it with if you well obviously a raspberry beret to start um <laughs> and probably like well it's like a very like cherry flavored mild red blend and i think it actually is a red blend i didn't just say that um and it's from the central coast so I would I would pair it with a raspberry beret, a little bit of Prince music, and okay. like I don't know, like a pastrami sandwich. That's that's the fuck what I'm talking about on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Extra sauerkraut. Oh lord. Yeah, it's good, and it's I've I've drinking almost half of it, and I'm feeling pretty good right now. So, um, and we're looking at a fourteen point five percent alcohol by volume. Dude, you really 750 get, like, milliliters. Wow. Yeah, we're you good get your, over here. You get your bang for your buck at I really do. Dude. I don't fuck around. Yeah. There's some good stuff there. Yeah. Um, um, what, what did you... What popping bottles do you have over there? So I thought that I would be fancy in honor of our second episode, and I bought me a 17... dollar bottle of wine yes yes that's almost my hourly wage everyone calm down (laughs) uh totally worth it it's called daisy it is a pinot grigio blend it's from washington state the cork is telling me that it was made in 2016 um i got it again at the whole paycheck uh whole foods as regular folk call it and uh, I got it, so the first time I tried it was when they were doing, like, a little wine tasting in the store, maybe, like, eight months ago, and I was like, that's some good fucking shit, and it was on sale all the time for, like, 12 bucks, and I was like, that's totally worth $12, but that's how they fucking hook ya, is because now it's my favorite white wine, and now they sell it at 17 a bottle, so I haven't had it in a while, but in honor of this podcast, I bought it. I'm going to break it all the way fucking down for you because they conveniently did for me 75% Pine Grige, 12% Riesling, 9% Muscat, and 4% Sauvignon Blanc. So that's what Hella we're looking bougie. At. So much bouge. It is 12.8% alcohol by volume, so not quite your caliber, but we've come up from last week. <laughs> Once again, I've leveled up a bit higher than you. <laughs> You're like, next time you're calling me, you're like, it's 25% alcohol by volume. Um, actually, I just decided to go with a flat-out bottle of whiskey. I'm not messing around today. I'm, I'm drinking rubbing alcohol with a grape in it. Hopefully, that works as wine. And you know what? It qualifies. Um, I would pair this, and in fact have, <clears throat> with a gluten-free rosemary cracker and some seaside cheddar, also from whole foods i will repeat myself hella bougie so much bouge it's all a lie you guys i'm living paycheck to paycheck it's just you're 
also in your closet drinking wine. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's another thing. I So two things that I forgot to add. One is that this wine absolutely has ice cubes in it because... Because I'm fucking bougie. And we are, I'm recording in my closet right now because it's where I feel most at home. No, actually, because we listened to the last episode and this could be happening as I speak, actually. I have a really large space that has a wood floor and I don't own a lot of stuff because I spent all my money on Pinot Grigio. And so there was kind of like a shrill echo on my end and I was trying to play with different ways to sort of mitigate that and we settled on me recording in my closet i don't know if it's gonna work but i feel really cozy hey Um, so you know what this just reminded me that we've actually never told the people what our current recording situation is we haven't um we haven't explained that portion of this very special podcast so if you don't know yet i mean we did kind of allude to the fact that vaguely that we're in different cities we are recording this together while each of us is in a different part of the country and that's fucking witchcraft bitches it is (laughs) should we say where we are I think we already have. I know, but, but should we say it again? Yeah, let's just feel really cool about ourselves right now and, and state state our whereabouts. Okay, I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana. I am in Long Beach, California. And we are joined in the, in the internet webs. Via Apple FaceTime. Yes. And uh, headphones and microphones. And wine. And wine. Um, great. Should we launch in? Yeah, I think we should lunch in. Yeah, it's been 15 minutes. I hope you guys are, like, really into it. Um, Okay, so I am so, so, so excited for my woman this week. Uh, Melissa, as you may remember, and when we release this, it won't be nearly as timely, but timely enough, I was getting all of my fucking life in February watching the Winter Olympics. And in fact, there was one week, so in February, the last week of the Olympics, so like middle of February, I was on my ass with the flu for like seven days, and it was a fucking doozy, like called out of um, called out of work sick for an entire week, and all I did was lay in bed, use my mom's cable login on my computer, and binged figure skating like eight hours a day like I was getting paid for it. Just like any good American girl. Don't know. And I I also have your mom's login too and also watch figure skating. Live it up, girl. Live it up. She's <laughs> she's paying bill why pay bills for just one people when you can pay bills for five. I also gave a I gave it to two other people too. <laughs> Eventually her cable's just gonna turn off. Thanks, um, mom. Thanks, mom. Um so that was, you know, besides the Zambonis, which were really the stars of the show, I was getting all my life through figure skating. Like most people, I only watch figure skating during the Olympics. Don't watch it any other time of year, life, once every four years. It is my entire life obsession. And so I thought, I'm going to do my episode about one of my favorite figure skaters of all time. And I know you think I'm going to say Tanya. I'm not. Don't worry. Um, but well, then I definitely don't know who it is. <laughs> You're like, that's the only fucking only figure skater I've ever heard of. Correct. Um, this figure skater goes by the name of Surya Bonali. Do you know who this no. is? I do not. I'm so fucking excited. Okay. Wait, so, say the name one more time. Surya Bonali. She's a French figure skater. Okay. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about Miss Bonalee. So she she's retired now. She's in her mid-40s, but she was a very decorated, very competitive, badass bitch figure skater in her heyday in the 80s and 90s. I don't know what y'all were doing in the 80s and 90s, but let me give you a little taste of what Surya was up to. She was a three-time Olympian, a nine-time French national champion, a five-time European champion. She took silver at three world championships and is one of the most decorated French figure skaters of all time. However, Surya Bonali is probably most famous for her signature don't give a fucking shit move of doing a backflip on the ice, landing on one ice skate. (laughs) So just to give you all context, I can't do a cartwheel. And I can't even ice skate without falling down. Like, just, you know, when they're just warming up and literally skating out into the middle of the ice, I can't even do that without falling. No. Meanwhile, Surya Bonali is doing backflips and landing them on one ice skate. Now, this is super, super significant because it is illegal in figure skating competitions to do any kind of flip. Why? Uh, well, we'll get to that. We'll, okay. we'll get to that as we go. Um, although the short, spoiler alert, the short answer is there's not a real good reason. But I, we'll talk about what people speculate. Um, and she actually did it, and I'll go into more detail once we go further into her story. Her, It was her like sign-off move when she before she went professional at the 1998 Nagano Japan Olympics. She did a backflip, and it was basically like a fuck you to the ice skating world because it was an illegal move, and she knew that they were going to deduct the shit out of her score. But she did it anyway because the ice skating world did Surya Bonali so dirty. And that's why I'm going to talk about her because she does not nearly get enough respect for all the things that she's done. And we'll talk about it now. So Miss Surya Bonali, she was born in Nice, France in 1973. Uh, She was actually, so her birth mother named her Claudine, but at 18 months old, she was adopted by the Bonalis and they changed her first name to Surya. So her mom, her adopted mom was a PE teacher and an ice skating teacher and a coach for various sports. And so she got into athletics at a really young age. And actually, surprise, surprise, she started out more as a competitive gymnast. And she started ice skating at 11. But at the age of 13 in 1986, she won a silver medal at the Tumbling World Championships. So even though at this point in her life, like before she was even well known for ice skating, she was already snatching up like global medals in a different sport. So just like a super athletic, competitive girl. And she was what, 13? 13 years old. And she wasn't even like she was just barely getting the figure skating career off the ground. So she's they like start these fuckers at three. Oh, my God. So here's what's wild is I was reading up on her career you know, they kept saying she started skating at the age of 11, and almost everything I read said, like, quote, relatively late age of 11. Like, that's late by figure skating standards. Like, I'm Is over here in, like, AYSO soccer, and she's, like, homeschooled and, like, dealing with some, like, probably, like, 40-year-old prick who's screaming at her to skate better. Right. Like, I, yeah. I'm juggling, like, orange slices, and she's being, like, screamed at to, like, be a professional when she should be a child. It's wild. Do you do you want to know what I did at 11? <laughs> Dropped out of school. That's what I did for the first time. First of three, bitches. So, that's, that's what I was up to. Um, and definitely playing some N64 while I was at it. <laughs> like, the fat Nintendo kid. Oh, my God. Sorry, back to Surya. 
Um, so she starts out as a competitive gymnast to the point, and is good enough that she's winning international medals for it as a child. But then she kind of switches gears and goes full on into skating. And by 16 years old, she's competing on a global stage in the junior championships. Right from jump, no pun intended, Surya is different. <laughs> Siri is different because in ice skating, there's a, and if you think about any ice skating you watch during the Olympics, you'll realize this is true. There's a trope in ice skating, excuse me, in women's ice skating of like an ice princess. So you're either expected to be, you can be one of two things. You can be this kind of graceful, elegant ice ballerina, or you could be kind of like a young, bubbly, perky, cute girl. Those are your two options. And generally speaking, you're really small. You're not muscular. Like those girls don't have anything, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like God bless them, but they're, they're skin and bones out there. Um, and Surya was really, you know, she was, she was very small. She was like five foot one or something, but she was very athletic. So she was built, you know, she was muscular, she was strong and she was a power skater. She would do, um, super powerful jumps. Her technical rates were off the chart. She was super fast, but she didn't necessarily have this like ballerina woo woo going on. And I have deliberately withheld this until this moment. Syria Bonoli is black. Now I want you to think before we go on about how many black figure skaters you've ever seen. I mean, like you said, I watch the Olympics once every 45 <laughs> years. So I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I, right. I don't even know that it would be something that would stand out to me. But I mean, I typically figure skating in general, doesn't scream that demographic. No, no, absolutely not. And the figure skating world didn't really know what to do with her. Um, No one, of course, ever explicitly said it was because she was black, but there was a lot of coded language around the way people would describe her. So they'd say things like she was raw, she was muscular, she was powerful, and she was, I mean, like, nine-time French national champion, five-time European champion, like, this girl was not a fucking joke. Um, Can I interrupt you for one second? Yes, please. I love things like this because I went most of my childhood being described as exotic really yes which like you don't describe any white people as exotic no <laughs> no so people don't know what we look like i am about as pale like you know like the zero zero foundation that you can get at the drugstore that's what i wear and i have blue <laughs> eyes and like blonde brown hair um no one has ever and no one will ever refer to me as exotic yeah like i remember i have this memory from my childhood where one of my white aunts told me that i looked extremely exotic one day when we were at like a family event and to this day i have never forgotten that and it wasn't that it offended me it was just that i wondered what made me exotic Mm-hmm. Well, and as I'm as I'm looking at you, so so listeners, like Melissa is not just white, um, but you're not like. I, I mean, you're light skinned Mexican. Yeah, is that like a fair thing to say? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you do have exotic eyebrows. Maybe she was talking about your eyebrows. <laughs> I think it's also just when like when you're related to when you're white and you're related to people that are not fully white that's how you describe them to be different than you but i don't know i always like those types of descriptions of like non-white people because they're always hysterical 
Right. They're always so great. It's like, okay, what else am I? Like one time somebody told me that they asked if I was Eskimo. (laughs) Melissa and anyone else listening to this who goes through this shit, the next time someone asks you those questions at a bar, because it always happens at a bar, you should be like, you can guess what I am, but every time you guess wrong, you have to buy me a round of drinks. (laughs) I mean, if people are going to be rude, you might as well get free drinks out of it. That's what I'm saying. I agree. And then on the last drink, throw the ice in their face. Make sure you get one. Make sure you get something on the rocks so you can throw ice in their face. (laughs) And then just moonwalk out of there. But so it's interesting that you bring that up because at the start of Surya's career, her first skating coach, who was named Didier Guyage, I think that's his name, tried to kind of like build this air of mystery and exoticism around her by straight up making up details about her life including and this is not a fucking joke that she was abandoned at birth on a coconut strewn beach off the coast of madagascar where her white adoptive parents found her and rescued her somebody made that up her fucking coach made that up (laughs) and And was was telling like international media outlets this fucking story that is serious pr isn't that fucked up and then he also there was some other stuff too the other thing that i heard was that there was this like mythological story that she never cut her hair like they just created all of these weird narratives around her and he's been interviewed and he you know he tries to be like well yeah they wanted a story we gave them a story like blah 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 blah. yeah you straight up made up her life she was born in france she was not she was no one found her on an island off the coast of madagascar that is insane with coconuts like as if it wasn't racist enough already they're like throw some coconuts in that bitch so people know that is hysterical (laughs) i mean you can't make that shit up right so from jump syria is an outsider because again no pun intended this time it might have been a little intended (laughs) um she's not she's not white She's not, you know, I actually can't say her socioeconomic background, but, like, her mom is a PE teacher. Like, she's not super bouge. I don't think, you know. Um, and she had that, again, she was more athletic than she was this, like, cute, artistic ballerina ice skater. Um, so they, they just never really had it in for her. Or they always had it in for her, and they never really saw it for her. Um, so she's snatching up gold, silvers, whatever she can get in these junior champion, excuse me, in these junior championships. And then, you know, once she's of age, she hits the world scene, snatching up medals at the 1992 Olympics in Albertville, France. It's her first Olympics during the little practice session where they all just go out and ice and do their thing. She goes ahead and is like, you know what? I'm at the Olympics. I'm gonna do a fucking backflip right now on my ice skates and does a backflip. And the officials immediately come for her. And they're like, you can't do that again. Um, because, quote, it might intimidate skaters during practice. She got close. She didn't medal at the... She's never medaled at an Olympics. Um, spoiler alert right now. She didn't medal at Albertville, but she got really, really close. Um, I want to say she was like fourth or fifth, and she was only pushed out by a few decimals of a point. Um, and she, you know, she realizes at this point that the skating world is never going to recognize her as long as she's doing these like hardcore athletic moves. And so she starts training with different coaches, trying to become more artistic and incorporate more of that, like elegance and grace. Okay. She's like, okay, fine. Fuck it. I'll give into the system and I'll try to do it. Oh, before I move on, I did want to note 
At that Olympics, she became the first woman to ever competitively attempt a quadruple toe loop. Um, she did not fully rotate it in the air, so she didn't pull it off. Uh, but literally, so the, f- God, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, I probably am, but I don't think I am. Just like two days ago, some Russian figure skater who is 13 years old landed the first quadruple in competition in women's ice skating. So this is like 20 years later. So yeah. she was so far ahead of the curve trying to do yeah. all these things that people are now now just trying to incorporate. Um, okay. So she's trying to do the thing, like do what she's supposed to be doing. At the World Championships in 1993 in Prague, she takes a silver medal behind Oksana Bayul, who won by like a tiny margin because she had higher presentation scores. Oksana Bayul, if you don't know, was like this beautiful blonde figure skating. I mean, she was just like the figure skating ice princess trope. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to list out the technical difficulty of both of their routines so you could get a fucking taste of what Surya was putting up with. Surya attempted and landed. And again, I got this from Wikipedia, so like, knock on wood, hopefully this is right, y'all. Uh, she, Surya landed seven triples, a triple-triple combination, which means like you do a triple and then you go right back up into one, a, uh, and then two triple letzes. Oksana did five triples and no combinations. Like, such a huge fucking margin between the technical difficulty of their programs, and she still took gold. Of course she did. Yeah, of course she did. Um, so then shit gets real in 1994. Surya's like hits full honey badger, don't give a fuck mode. 1994 World Championships in Japan. Um, she, Bonali is like the second to last skater to go. And she d- basically does like the skate of her fucking life. Um, not perfect, but as close as you can fucking get. Like five nine, five nine, five nine across the board. And then Yukasato of Japan goes up at the end and they get a tied score. And so they have to do a tiebreaker and one judge breaks the tie and gives it to the Japanese girl. And Surya Bonali, because she had a higher presentation score. Uh, Surya Bonali is like, I'm fucking done with this shit. She won't get on the fucking podium. She's like, no. Absolutely not. Like, I deserve that fucking medal. So finally, she gets on the podium. They place the silver medal around her neck, and she immediately takes it off. And the crowd boos her. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the media afterwards comes at her. And for like from that point onward, she is known as like this rebel, this poor sport. Um, People were talking about how she was throwing a tantrum. Like, people just go nuts about it. I'm, like, sitting here just, like, soaking up info, trying to analyze her Zodiac sign, and I'm really enjoying it. That's, like, the only thing you're thinking about. (laughs) I wrote it at the top of my notes, so I wouldn't forget it. By the way, guys, if you hear pages flipping, it's because I'm old, and I take my notes in a fucking notebook. Welcome. Um, So, in 1995, at the World Championships in Birmingham, England... Uh, again, just to add, just to add more insults to her injuries, she lost gold by one judge and by 0.1 points. So again, she's like, just, she constantly is like getting slighted by the, the thinnest of margins while people are constantly talking about how she's not graceful enough and like, boo, 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 bo
I'll get into that more even later. But here's the crown fucking jewel of everything. Again, 1998, Nagano, Japan, as I mentioned before. So she's actually, she knows this is going to be her last Olympics. She's been ice skating for like 15 years. That's a super long career for a female figure skater. And she actually, a few months prior to the qualifiers, uh, injured her Achilles tendon. So she she's skating with an injury. And as she's going through her routine, she keeps fucking up her jumps because she's got this injury and so she has this moment where she's like well fuck it like i'm not gonna win i'm not gonna get a medal let me go out with a bang and she goes ahead after already being cautioned about not doing this years before and does a one-footed backflip on the ice i love it she's like i'm out by they deduct (laughs) the shit out of her score because it's an illegal move and she takes 10th place and then she goes pro so that was like her sign off. Fuck you to all Bye. of them. Right. And here's what makes that move so significant, Melissa. I mean, like, aside from the fact that, like, what the fuck? Who does that? To no one on planet Earth, male or female, has done that move in a competition. And I actually thought until this morning, I'm glad I found this article, until this morning, my impression was that no one has ever been recorded doing that on planet Earth out of competition or in competition i did see one one person had like a twitter clip of somebody doing it during a practice session hmm. so one dude did it once at least besides surya bonali but no one has done it competitively Interesting. Um, I love and so it. here's why so that's just like a great story because it was like she she signed off as like fuck you she's ballsy as fuck yeah she and she give worked a shit. her fucking ass off and time after it. time after she time deserved it. yeah and she's like, well, fuck, if you're not going to give me gold, if you're gonna, not going to give me recognition, then you're going to fucking recognize this backflip. And that's what, <laughs> that's what it's going to be. Um, so, look, I got to talk about a couple things now. Here's the thing. On top of, like, what we already talked about, about, you know, like, where race comes in and, like, the athleticism. I mean, this is always a tension in figure skating is that it's a sport and yet there's this subjective element to it that is completely non-athletic, right? It's like, how pretty do you look on the ice? Like, what is it? How does your skirt flap in the wind as you do backflips and show everybody your butt cheeks? Like, that's such a big part of the sport, which doesn't make any sense because no other fucking... I mean, it makes sense, but how many other sports are like that besides, like, gymnastics and figure skating? You know what I mean? And so it's like, on pure athleticism, I guess she was... Like synchronized running. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, this is a sport, dude. Like, on technical ability, she often was beating the shit out of other people. And people were like, oh, it's not enough. Now, I do want to say, so there is a Radiolab episode from April 21st, 2016. It's called On the Edge. Um, Y'all should definitely watch it because they're way more professional than me and have much more money and actually interviewed Surya Bonali, which I will never do. But there is, oh, girl, I listened to it this morning. I almost punched this woman, like, through my fucking iPhone. She was a a former figure skater, a former Olympian, and was a commentator by the time Syria was on the scene, and her name is Sandra Besick. Hate her. Literally, my note says, hate her. She, in this podcast, she's literally talking about how Syria was was not as good of a figure skater as other girls, not fucking kidding, because of the way her ice skates sounded on the ice they'll just come up with anything won't they literally anything to exclude people that they think are outsiders yeah she, i love like, it 
I love it though because she knew that she was she was smart enough to know that in advance and so she almost played with it like okay well I already know what to expect so let me do what I have to do on my end well here's the thing though I think with Surya like I don't think she was there right away. I think, like, if you read, like, these articles I was reading, it was, like, they beat her down over time. And she would actually, like, eventually, like, there was a breaking point for her where she went from trying to just be, like, professional. There were some, I forget exactly what game it was, where she literally booed the judges when she got her score. Like, stood up and booed the judges. And so did the crowd, because the crowd fucking loved her, because she was so good. Um, And so they would get, like, she, so she got broken down over time by that. Them for sure but like literally this in this fucking podcast like sandra besick if you're if you're listening to this like you and i you need to call me we need to have a real motherfucking heart to heart and she you can tell by the sound like this woman's bougie as shit she was probably raised in like aspen and like you know what sandra when you and i talk you're gonna buy all the wine but she's i mean like literally melissa for like two and a half minutes which is a really long time to talk about the sound of ice skates. She's talking about how Surya Bonali's skates didn't sound right. And I was like, okay, yeah, so she, like, does backflips. She does all, like, she attempts these moves that no one else is trying. She lands all these moves that people aren't landing. But her ice skates don't sound good, so... Sorry. You're not a figure skater. What the actual fuck? Um... So, going back to the backflip, though, real quick, because you asked about why it was banned. No one has a good answer. It was actually, some people were, like, there was a rumor going around that she's the reason it was banned. It was actually banned long before she was skating. It was banned in 1976. Um, Nobody's totally sure why. Uh, Some people have speculated that because it's too show busy. Someone else speculated that um, because it's not generally when people do backflips on ice skates, they land on both feet because they don't want to fucking kill themselves. But when you're Surya Bonali, you're the bad bitch and you're not worried about it. So that was also a reason some people have speculated why they outlawed it is because every jump in figure skating is supposed to be landed on one skate. That's how you land all your jumps. They're like, oh, well, you can't land a backflip on one skate, so we're going to outlaw it. Which, like, if that's the case, then Surya was like, you can go fuck yourself. Um, And then some other people are just like, it's too fucking dangerous. I mean, like, think of everything that could just go wrong. You're on ice. Yeah. (laughs) You're doing a backflip, and you're landing on a knife attached to a shoe. That is crazy. Isn't that wild? So definitely, like, when this podcast is over, go YouTube. She's done it a couple of different times, but definitely look at her do it at Nagano. Because it's just, girl, it's like her Phoenix song. She's like, and I'm fucking out of here, fuck you. But, you know, there are a couple things I want to say about, like, the shit that she went through. This one in particular, like, killed me. I read this quote. It's from an old ESPN interview with her. And this, like, honestly broke my heart. She said, and this is like after everything is done, this is after she's gone professional. And this is the quote I don't know if race made it more difficult, but it certainly made me stronger. Maybe I won't be accepted by a white person, but if I'm better, they have no choice. Which, like, obviously is not what happened to her. Obviously, that's not what happened. Like, there were multiple points at which she was better. And. And they just gave up on her. So there were just like multiple points at which she was doing better than other people. And they they did have a choice as to whether or not they wanted to accept her. And they then they very clearly did not. And so it's she, you know, she's remained fairly staunch about the fact that none of this had to do with her race. Um, and I think a lot of people on the sidelines disagree. And regardless of whether or not it was about race, 
just the fact that they were discriminating against her essentially for her athletic ability in an athletic activity makes zero fucking sense to me and it's also this thing where and this is where i'm going to get political real quick like no matter what you accomplished as a woman how everything always not everything but somehow it always comes back to your aesthetic value yeah but what do you look like what does she look like on the ice like, is she flowy? Is she elegant? Is she blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, no, bitch, she's doing fucking backflips. Like, let that be it. Is that not enough for you? You know, I just... So she's been done dirty. She's so not... It's interesting because in the last couple of years, she's gotten, like, a resurgence in popularity. People have been like, yeah, fucking Surya Bonali. And, like, they share... Actually, it was so weird after I decided I was going to do her. Literally, the next day I was on Instagram and there was... um a page I follow, I think it's called Girl Boss, and they posted a video of her doing the backflip like that day. Um, so she's still just like this. She's gotten this resurgence in popularity. I think with this like 17th wave of feminism or whichever one we're on, you know, like there are these kind of like treasures from the past that people are like, hey, this person never got that credit they deserved. And yeah, you know, we have this generation of women who want to hear about it. So let's bring it back. You know um, what I like about her that hmm. I feel like I've gathered over everything you've told me is that like she seems to have a very eloquent way of like representing her distaste or Mm -hmm. disagreement with what's occurring but doing it in a very professional and like pristine way yeah i would say you know what's so ironic is that she was constantly being shat on because she wasn't artistic and i'm like girl she's doing the highest art in my opinion she's literally going to your games and doing things that you don't want her to do and making the pot like the general population love her and i'm just like that's performance art girl she just yoko ono would be very proud she would be so proud um so that's you know like there's so much more i could say there's like there are other medals she won in her junior career like i just try to keep it a little bit succinct but just a badass figure skater one of france's best figure skaters of all time and just never ever got the respect and recognition that she deserved do you happen to know anything about like her childhood her parents if she had siblings or anything like that my under i don't I can't say whether or not she had siblings for sure, but they were never mentioned in anything I read about her. And the fact that she was adopted makes me think she probably doesn't have any. Okay. Um, and her parent, her adoptive parents were white, which is also like a, a you know, do without what you will. But that's like an interesting dynamic, I think, too. Um, she is now 44 years old. She lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which I have never gone to, but would really love to go to because I heard it's wonderful. Hashtag Prince. Hey, girl, you're Prince wine. <laughs> um and uh and now she you know now she's a coach and i don't know if she's married or engaged to but she's booed up with another figure skating coach just living her life um and i actually before i forget i want to give a shout out a lot of the information i got for this episode was from a broadly article by alejandra matoni that was published on the 5th of march 2018 so thanks alejandra thank you so much um (laughs) That was but great. Yeah, ain't that some shit? Ain't that some fucking yeah. shit? You know what I was thinking, though? I was like, you and I are going to have so many best friends by the end of this podcast series. <laughs> like, the amount of women we're go- we are going to be booed up with is, like, <laughs> off the charts. Like, I already have, like, three best friends, you know, from just, like, last episode and, like, your woman right now. Like, this is so exciting. Oh, I am officially obsessed with Yoko Ono. 
Like, are anyone, you? Anyone who will listen to me talk about Yoko Ono will be like, do you fucking know? Do you fucking understand what this woman has done? Well, I was talking to um, a good friend of mine that I'll call Jamiroqua. Uh, that's, that's not his real name. But we shall henceforth refer to him as Jamiroqua. I was talking to him about her, and as I, I was just kind of doing this like mini recap of what you said, and I was like, this woman went through everything. Um, war losing her child watching her like soulmate get murdered like all of these and then the world hating her for doing absolutely nothing but being herself and i'm like god like i just uh, i need to meet her right but like you know what she probably would meet you ah girl that's the other thing about it is that yoko would meet you I think I'd have to be a, like a crazy artist. No, I think I you think are. Co- I, <laughs> I think you are. I don't think I'm cool enough. I'm pretty sure that you would. I think you land in the realm of people that Yoko would fuck with. Oh God, that's all I care about at this point in my life. As of as of seven days ago, that's literally like my only goal in life is to be seen as cool by Yoko fucking Ono. <laughs> um. Anyway, so that's Surya. She's fucking badass. I love her. And now the moment of truth. What is her oh. astrological sun sign? Okay, so I'm Do really struggling with this. Do you want I, hints of any kind? I want to take, I want, well, this is, I think I'm going to need hints, like you okay. did with Yoko, but I'm going to ask you, is she an earth sign? No. Good okay, question. That already, that already fucks everything up, because I had three guesses, and they were all earth signs. Well, okay, so if you think about, like, that idea of, like, doing whatever the fuck you want, like, what other element is all about that? With, like, attitude. Um, Sagittarius? Yes. <laughs> You're so good. December 5th, December 15th, 1973. So that was going to be, my first guess was going to be Virgo. And then I was going to ask if it was an earth sign. And if you said no, then I was going to say Sagittarius. That is so fun. Why Sag? Because I would have, like, if I had guessed, I would have guessed Aries. I would have, I would have thought Aries too. I think it's because my two siblings are Sagittarius mm. that I can recognize their life paths and their behaviors as similar to maybe things she has done. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't have any direct Aries in my life other than my boss, and I don't know my boss on a personal level. So I, I, I can relate more to Sagittarius of the fire signs. Okay. And and Leo. But Aries I, Aries, I don't know that well. I also want to back up with, like, the way you said that made it sound like your siblings are doing backflips on the ice. No, but just, just like, how she took a stance and, For like, sure. was like, I am not getting what I need to be getting, so I'm just going to throw up a gigantic middle finger and just fuck all y'all up. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that... I don't know. There was a lot. I got like a lot of earth out of her, though. So I would be interested to do more research and be like, "Do you have a lot?" You know what's so fucking funny? I knew you were going to guess an earth sign. How? Because because I probably would have honestly. My first guess for her would have been Capricorn. That was going to be. I mean, I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide between the three. I was going to say Capricorn or Aries, but Capricorns don't usually like flip off authority in the way that she did. Yeah um so but yeah she's sagittarius i love it i'm god i love this shit this is so much fun i'm like i love this i love our show fuck it's so good (laughs) (laughs) at least like we'll always listen to it even if nobody else does yeah oh my god okay so is it my turn 
It's your fucking turn. I am so excited about this. And there are so many things. I'm so excited. There are so many things I cannot wait to tell you, but I have to wait till the end. So, like, Mm. my thoughts on the Zodiac sign, I I can't tell you now because I have to wait till the end. But I I have so many thoughts about that. And then I also discovered a lot more about this person that I didn't originally find in my initial research so it was like a it was like an aftermath excitement that i just it was like dessert i like Ooh. discovered something later that made me love this person even more but to wait, just wait wait, wait 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 can i sorry can i give you a new orleans education moment yes so in new orleans we call that land yap what does that mean it's it means like an added bonus you weren't expecting okay so that happened with my person i got you a got land yap oh my yes. god i got a land yap okay i feel like i heard like an uber driver say that in our cab when i was in new orleans with you but he was probably like that. give me some land yap bitch <laughs> <laughs> so i have to admit i didn't know who this person was until two weeks ago and it was while i was sitting at my desk at work and i'm talking to my bff jenna when i told her i was doing this podcast and when i told her that it was going to be around like inspiring women the very first person that came out of her mouth was julia child <gasps> yes and i'd never heard of julia child and she did that exact reaction that you just did and was like, how in the hell have you never heard of Julia Child? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm doing Yoko Ono, so I'll do a Julia Child later. And here we are. It's later, and we're doing Julia Child. You tell, girl, speak on it. And I have so much excitement around this. And, like, again, let me just tell you, Julia Child is my new best friend. <laughs> I love this woman so much and i would have never known that she existed if it wasn't for this podcast and if it wasn't for jenna so i am this is why i'm so happy we're doing what we're doing because i have like a complete newfound like appreciation for a woman i never even knew it existed and she inspires me so much and this is something i've only gained in the past two weeks we are gonna be we're gonna have so many imaginary girlfriends by the end of this fucking podcast we're gonna be dating we're gonna be imaginarily dating so many people i know i can't wait okay so for people that don't know julia child is an american chef she's an author and a tv personality who's recognized for bringing french cuisine to the american public with her famous cookbook that's called mastering the art of french cooking and her popular tv program the french chef which premiered in 1963 so the little backstory on julia child which if people only knew or know julia child as a cook then you were gonna freak the motherfucking fuck out what i have to tell you about her life prior to the motherfucking cooking because this lady is a firehouse yeah and i am so excited to tell you julia are you ready ah! okay <laughs> okay here we are she was born in 1912 in pasadena california to a very wealthy family growing up julia was the tallest student in her class coming in at a solid six foot two inches yes queen yes according to her classmates she was considered a wild prankster who was adventurous athletic and talented in golf tennis and small game hunting (laughs) as as we all are as we all are 
1930, she enrolled at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, with the intent to become a writer. Although she enjoyed short plays and regularly submitted unsolicited manuscripts to the New York to the New Yorker, none of her writing was published. Fuckers. I mean, (laughs) we can relate. Of my life. (laughs) (laughs) We can relate. New York Times Modern Love shot me down. That's all I'm saying. We've been rejected by so many platforms, which is why we have to create our own blogs that nobody reads and start a podcast. Um, So after graduation, she moved to New York where she worked in advertising and she worked for this prestigious like home furnishing company, which uh, ended up transferring her back to the Los Angeles branch. But she was ultimately fired for gross insubordination. Which yes. it's like oh my, I couldn't also love story you more. Of my life. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, in 1941, at the onset of World War II, Julia moved to Washington D.C. as she wanted to enlist in the Women's Army Corps and the U.S. Navy, but she was considered too tall. So, what? What? so too tall for what? I don't know. I don't know. Oh my so God. they rejected her and she had no other choice but to join what was called the Office of Strategic Services, which was a newly formed government intel- intelligence agency. She was basically a spy. What the fuck? But she's tall enough to be a spy, but not yeah. enough. OK, cool. Exactly. Yeah. So she started off as a typist. So I guess she just, like, typed a bunch of shit that people told her to type. But she was way too smart for that. So they quickly promoted her to a research assistant. And she played a key role in the communication of top secret documents between the U.S. government officials and their intelligence officers. What the fuck, Julia? Right? What? (laughs) How crazy is that? Oh, my God. Okay, so this is my favorite part. She also worked at the emergency rescue equipment section as a file clerk and then as an assistant to developers of a shark repellent that was needed to ensure that sharks would not explode underwater bombs that were targeted for German boats. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Can we back up for just one second? Yes. So... We started a podcast, and I feel like every day when I'm Googling shit, I'm like, oh, fuck, I haven't thought of these 18 things that we need to be thinking about. Like, I would never, ever, when I was thinking about bombing the ocean, would I be like, oh, what about the sharks detonating the bombs? (laughs) And and this is why I'm not a spy. (laughs) Yes! So... This was a problem that was happening during the war, was that there were a bunch of bombs that were put underwater that were specifically placed there to fuck up Germans, but the goddamn sharks were like, oh, what is this floating matter in the ocean? Let me poke it with my nose, and then it would explode. And Nazi so sharks, all, dude. Right? <laughs> so all of our, like, ammo was being fucked up by underwater creatures, and it was, like, a legit problem. So basically, Julia was asked like by this like intelligence agency to figure out how can we solve this problem and so she literally like solved it and she solved it by telling all of her bros that we need to come up with a solution and to figure out different cooking concoctions to throw out into the ocean to distract sharks away from the bombs 
so that they will be distracted basically by food and the bombs will be fine. And it worked. And this experimental shark repellent is still in use today and is considered Julia's first venture into the world of cooking. Uh, So she basically invented, as far as I can tell, she invented culinary warfare. (laughs) Fuck yes. I'm all the way here. So... Basically, long story short, her and her colleagues were sent on all types of different assignments all over the world, which included China and Sri Lanka. And while she was in Sri Lanka, she began a relationship with a fellow OSS employee, Paul Child. Mm. Paul Child was a New Jersey native who had lived in Paris as an artist and a poet prior to joining the United States Foreign Service. Paul is known for his sophisticated palate, and he introduced his soon-to-be wife in fine cuisine. Following the end of World War II in 1946, Julia and Paul returned to America, and they got married. Two years later, Paul was reassigned to the U.S. Information Service at the American Embassy in Paris, so Julia moved to France, and boom, our chef was born. Wait, I have a question because I'm not doing the math as we go. How how old is she at this point? She was 36 years old when she married her husband. Okay. Okay. Um, well, actually... She was probably, yeah, I think she was 36 and she was around 36 years old. Okay. So while in France, she developed a love for French cuisine and decided to attend the world famous Cordon Bleu cooking school. And that's where, that's where I wrote down that she was 36 years old. Uh, ah, oui. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, which I thought was like another thing I want to talk about her because I was blown away by the fact that like. This woman's fame and celebrity world didn't come to her till she was way later in life, which I find super inspiring. Right. Right. Super inspiring. But she was still doing, like, all these really cool things. Badass things. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, when she, like, in the same way that you and I were getting high on psychedelics in her 20s. Correct. She was battling sharks with culinary (laughs) concoctions. This is correct. This is correct. Perfect analogy, really. Perfect analogy. (laughs) So, yeah, she went to Cordon Bleu. She started to learn how to cook. And she met a bunch of friends who were chefs. And they joined a cooking club, which I will definitely fuck up the name of this, but it's like Le Cercle de Gourmets, through which she met her soon-to-be, you know, like, professional friends and um, co-workers, I guess you could call them, uh, Simone Beck, who is, well, that's one of them. So Simone Beck, she was writing a French cookbook for Americans with her friend Louisette Berthol. And Simone and Louisette asked Julia to pretty much join forces and help make this book um, not only get written, but be appealing to Americans. So they kind of needed her because they were two French women and they wanted to get to America. And Julia was kind of the key to that because she was American and she could translate everything. So they, the three of them became like a crew. A squad. Um, a squad. Uh, and in 1951, the three of them began to cook teaching to American women in Julia's Paris kitchen. Um, and they called their informal school L'Ecole des Trois Um <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. <laughs> Which translates to the school of the three food lovers. 
Okay. So, for the next decade, the three of them moved all around Europe, and then they finally settled in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they researched and repeatedly tested recipes. Julia translated the French into English, making the recipes detailed, interesting, and practical. So, they finally finished the cookbook, and it was published in 1961, and it was 726 pages long, which was titled Mastering the Art of French Cooking. It was a bestseller, and it received critical acclaim that derived in part from the American interest in French culture in the early 1960s. The book is still in print today and is considered a staple in culinary work, and it's applauded for its helpful illustrations and precise attention to detail and for making fine cuisine accessible. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, which I was like, when I was researching her, I was like, you, her and like CJ and Julie have a lot in common. I don't know all of this. This is all news to me, but I was thinking the same thing. You do have a lot in common. Yeah. Just like with yeah. her research assistant and then the right. culinary with the shark, like the whole thing <laughs> is just like. <laughs> I think we know what the podcast episode is going to be called. (laughs) It's just, I was actually literally thinking of you while I was reading about her. And it was really interesting to me. Um, So yeah, so basically, uh, following the book's publishing, she... Uh, wrote a bunch of magazine articles and she even had her own designated column in the boston globe newspaper boston globe newspaper i'm starting to get slurry i apologize it's okay what i'm about to tell you is her at 50 years old so in 1962 her cookbook appeared on a book review show which led to the inception of her first television cooking show after viewers enjoyed her demonstration of how to cook an omelet Wow, so she so, literally didn't even get her first cooking show until no, she was 50. she was 50. She was 50. Holy shit! Do you Girl, know we how have much hope, time we have, hope, Melissa. We, we have so much hope. So much yes. time yes. Yes. to slay yes. the motherfucking world. I'm pouring more wine to this. That's what I'm Good. Doing. This is why I love her. I'm like, I am so inspired by you. Yeah. Like, I feel like my entire life needs to be figured out in the next year, but that's so not true. I have like 40 years to go. Right. And like, what a nice switch between like figure skating where you literally have to get on the ice by the time you're six. Yeah. To like, oh no, it's cool. You can get your first show at 50. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. So her TV show that she landed at 50 years old was called The French Chef and it debuted on February 11th in 1963. So she was 51 then. Um, it was immediately successful. The show ran nationally for 10 years, and it won Peabody and Emmy Awards, including the first Emmy Award for an educational program. <sighs> Though she was not the first television cook, Julia was the most widely seen. She attracted the broadest audience with her cheery enthusiasm, distinctly wobbly voice, and uh, unpatronizing Julia. and unaff- <laughs> unaffected manner. In 1972, The French Chef became the first television program to be captioned for the deaf, even though this was done using the preliminary technology of open captioning. The first one, like, ever of all time? Ever of all time. Ugh, yes. (laughs) Just, it's Lanyap, girl, it's Lanyap. Right? (laughs) So, her second book was titled The French Chef Cookbook, (coughs) which was a collection of the recipes she had demonstrated on the show. (coughs) It was soon followed by 1971, 
which was titled The Mastering of the Art of French Cooking, Volume 2. Her fourth book was titled From Julia Child's Kitchen, which illustrated her husband's photographs and it documented the color series of the French chef, as well as provided an extensive library of kitchen notes compiled by Julia during the course of the show. She was known to have a really, really huge impact on American households and housewives. Um, because the technology in the 60s was, you know, basically garbage, the show was unedited, which basically, like, would reveal all of her fuck-ups, like, uh, live television. Like, they weren't uh, able to edit anything out because they didn't know how, so she just was who she was on live television in her cooking show, and she was, you know, noted to be, like, one of the most authentic and appro- approachable uh, personalities on TV. Julia! I want to cry a little bit. I'm getting like emotional. I love her so much. I love her so much. I'm also almost through this entire bottle now. I know. This is what's going to We're going to be like sobbing by the end of this. (laughs) Drunk sobbing. She's so amazing. It was also noted that the show took place before the feminist movement of the 1960s, which meant that the issue of housewives and women at that time were not like published on tv so she sort of like played a role in like representing the housewife and it it sort of like you know during that time period like housewives were like portrayed as these like perfect mother wife role models but really they were just on like a shitload of klonopin and like they smoke cigarettes while they're pregnant but like you don't see that in like you know the marketing collateral during that time period but julia Mm -hmm. she was she was like the face of the real housewife because she was live on television she was cooking but she was a complete like shit show all she did was like drop eggs on the floor she was like (laughs) butchering chickens heads off she was like giggling at all her f up so like she she was able to like be the reality behind the housewife which she was was like hey bitches (laughs) bitches i'm on clonopin too okay yeah she was not perfect and i think that was like a huge inspiration to women during that time was it like you know we pretend to be this thing that we aren't but like julia is being the reality of it and the raw the raw realness of it so yeah basically julia was just like a powerhouse for women during that time period and she just killed the game because she was all that was real Um, And then in the 1970s and 1980s, she was the star of numerous television programs, including Julia Child and Company, Julia Child and More Company, and Dinner at Julia's. (laughs) (laughs) Julia, Julia, Julia. Yeah, which she deserves it, dude. Get Get it, it. girl. Yeah. Um, And then in 1989, she published what she considered her claim to fame which was a book and instructional video series collectively titled The Way to Cook. So for whatever reason, that was the one thing that she died being like, I'm happiest about that. Hmm. So as usual, like all women and all things in the world, there are billions of people that hated her because why wouldn't they? How could you hate Julia Child? She's the most well, lovable person. You. Okay, I you. will. T- I will tell you. What a leader. So... Uh, not everyone was a fan of the famous TV chef. Uh, she was frequently criticized by letter-writing viewers for her failure to wash her hands, as well as what they believed was her poor kitchen demeanor. One asshole in particular wrote a letter in that, quote, said, 
you are quite a revolting chef the way you snap bones and play with raw meat (laughs) what the fuck first of all so like can i can we like take a second to acknowledge that like this was pre-internet like you couldn't just like type that into facebook you had to fucking write a letter yeah you had to find Mm -hmm. the address to send it to you had to find a stamp back in those days you had to lick stamps to affix or you needed like one of those wax one of those wax things where you like melt the candle and like seal the label (laughs) that was like 200 years ago but i want to believe that he fucking did that with like his with like his crest on it it was just like a dick He was like, I'm a dick. Here's my dick crest. <laughs> but like that, all that to say, like it took effort to troll people back then. Yeah. What and they were still doing shit. It. Yeah, they did that. And uh, the best part is that she responded to that letter um, publicly. I am going to. And all she, all she wrote, all she said, I don't know if she wrote it or said it or where it went, but what she was reported to have responding to say was, I can't stand those over sanitary people. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, same girl. Yeah, that was it. That was all she had to say about it. Um, others were really concerned about the fact that um, there was a lot of high level of fat used in French cooking. So she typically loved to use a lot of butter and cream, which has been mm-hmm. questioned by food critics and modern day nutritionists. She addressed these criticisms throughout her career, predicting that, quote, fanatical fear of food would take over the country's dining (gasps) habits and that focusing too much on nutrition takes the pleasure from enjoying food can i also start to be like let me fucking correct everyone right now and i'm not look people i'm not a nutritionist and i'm not going to say exactly where i work but i work in culinary medicine and if you google where i live you'll know exactly where i work There is actually not a very strong body of research that proves that saturated fat is actually that bad for you. There's not, like, I can't make a claim that it's good for you, and we can't say that it's not at all bad for you, but the body of research is actually not that strong, so y'all can fuck off, is what I'm trying to say. And Julia was right. And that's what she was trying to say. Um, And in a 1990 interview, Julia said, quote, everybody is overreacting. If fear of food continues, it will be the death of gastronomy in the United States. Fortunately, the French don't suffer from the same hysteria we do. We should enjoy food and have fun. It's one of the simplest and nicest pleasures in life. Uh, Preach. Julia. Julia, girl. I got some Chinese food in the fridge. I'm about to slam after this podcast. And I am going to enjoy it. I ate popcorn for dinner yesterday, okay? <laughs> and I made Julia so proud. Um, and then there was these other douchebag critics that claimed that Julia is partly responsible in a, quote, betrayal of original American ideals, causing American cuisine to deteriorate in quality and taste. <laughs> a qu- Sorry. According to them, Julia performs this betrayal by recommending inferior commercial products as substitutes for the original ingredients, trying to make food more appealing to the Americans by making it sweet and using the idea of Frenchness to give food value instead of its taste. What first for first of all what the fuck is American cuisine besides cheeseburgers, home run pies, and French fries? 
What the Ram fuck are they even? <laughs> like, so, oh my god, you're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, what are they even? No. What are they defending? It's just another example of people having to rain on somebody's parade. Right. Yeah. That's all Girl, that is. It's just. It's just like the ice skates exactly. made sound on exactly. the ice. That you took the words out of my mouth. Exactly. That's all it is. Yep. Nothing more than an excuse to rain on somebody's motherfucking parade. Fucking dicks, dude. Everybody's an asshole. <laughs> like, is, that's our sign off, dude. Everybody's an asshole. <laughs> Everybody is such fucking haters. Like, I can't wait for the day that we're ruling the world and then we have like a series of people that are like, everything you do is wrong and here is everything that you do wrong. And oh, it's just like, bring it, bitch. The second we air episode one, it's going to be like... Yeah, even on my YouTube channel, like one of the very first comments I ever got was somebody telling me that I was annoying and that they want to grab my ass. <laughs> Which, by the way, my ass makes zero appearance in any of my YouTube videos. And if it did, like, there's not a lot to grab. Okay, I'm just going to say it. But yeah, there's just somebody. It's like, uh, okay, okay. So yeah, that so that covers the critics, but let's talk about all the like the awards that this woman won. So like, Fuck of course yes. there's haters, but like at the same time, we'll look at this middle finger, stick it up your fucking ass, and listen to what I accomplished. So early in her TV career, Julia received the pre- I'm sorry, the prestigious George Foster Peabody Award in 1965, followed by an Emmy Award in 1966. Mm-hmm. In 1979, her book, Julia, Child, and More Company, won a National Book Award in the category of current interest. In 1981, she founded the American Institute of Wine and Food to advance the understanding and appreciation of quality wine and food, a pursuit she had already begun with her books and television appearances. In 1993, she was a rewarded for her work when she became the first woman inducted into the culinary institute hall of fame the first woman what year was that 1993 she was the very first woman ever in all of life to be inducted into the culinary institute hall of fame well that actually makes sense because as we all know women weren't invented until 1990 so that makes perfect sense Well, in the year 2000, she received France's highest honor, which was the Légion d'Honneur. In in 2002, the Smithsonian National Museum of American History unveiled an exhibit featuring the kitchen in which she filmed three of her popular cooking shows, which she actually, like, gave to them. At one, like she gave up like a kitchen and they put it in a museum and like they have it on an exhibit. So those are all the cool things that she got. Um, but as most things, you know, life does come to an end. So in 1994, her husband Paul Child died after living in a nursing home for five years following a series of strokes. Mm-hmm. In 2001, Julia moved to a retirement community, donating her house and office to Smith College, where she had previously attended as a as like a 20 or whatever year old you are when you go to college, not us, because we dropped out and went back. Um, as mentioned earlier, she donated her kitchen to the National Museum of American History, a kitchen that her husband designed for her with mm-hmm. high counters and ceilings to accommodate her height. <gasps> 
oh, I don't even believe in love, but in this moment I do. Well, just hold your breath because you don't know what I'm about to continue to tell you about him. Oh, no. He deserves his own trophy, and I will get oh. to that shortly. Oh. Um, in 2004, Julia died of kidney failure in Montesino, California, two days before her 92nd birthday. Oh, whoa. Her last meal was French onion soup. God bless. Um, she also ended her last book, which was titled My Life in France, with this quote. Thinking back on it now reminds me that the pleasures of the table and of life are infinite. Toi joie, bon appétit. Were her last quotes. Très <laughs> <laughs> bien. Um, and then one last, one last thing. Um, which I can't say because it will destroy our Zodiac plan, but a certain month in 2012 marched what would have been, or marked what would have been, her 100th birthday. In celebration of her centennial, restaurants nationwide took part in Julia Child Restaurant Week, featuring her recipes on their menus. Oh, that is so sweet. Do it again, because I'll go. Right? So oh. sweet. So, a couple of fun facts about her, which brings me to the fun part of all of this, which all of this has been fun, but I have been waiting for, I've been waiting since Friday night to tell you this. Go, go, go. So, during my research, I obviously read everything that was online, and then I was like, I feel like there was a movie about Julia Child. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I like Google it and I like figure out the name and I'm like, I'm going to rent this movie tonight and this will expand a little bit on my research. So I download or whatever, buy on Google Play the movie, which was, which came out in 2009 and it's called Julie and Julia. And I watched it. And like within the first 20 minutes, I was like, I know this woman. I've seen her. I've met her, I've heard her voice, I've watched her cook, I know Julia Child. Like, why do I know this woman? And why am I getting such a huge, like, sense of familiar, like, familiar bonding to this lady? And it, like, was pissing me off. It was to the point where I'm like, I can't even concentrate on the storyline because I can't get past the Julia Child character, which was played by Meryl Streep. And, like, it was an actual representation of what Julia Child, who she was. Like, that was her personality. Yeah. But that personality was so familiar to me. And it was pissing me off. And I'm like, I can't get past it. I can't get past it. Once I wait, get that thought can I guess? Head, can I guess? No. no, you can't guess. Wait, so I was going to guess. No, you have to let Don't me guess. guess. No, no you have to I'm let me guess. tell you. No, let me guess. Because it's not what you're going to tell me. I was going to guess that she found you on a coconut-strewn beach off the coast of Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. Um, it was pissing me off for the longest time, and then finally it clicked. And I was looking at the TV, and I said to myself, Mrs. Fucking Doubtfire. <laughs> oh, yeah, like the voice especially. And then I was like, hello, I'm Julia Childs, yep. but mm -hmm. my name is also Mrs. Doubtfire. And yeah. I just put my tits on the burner and they're on fire. And I went into the refrigerator and I had the lemon meringue pie on my face. And I couldn't get past it. And so I was like, there's no way in hell I'm the only person in the entire world that has thought that, like, there is a resemblance between Julia Child and Mrs. Doubtfire. So obviously I took it upon Google to answer all of my thoughts and questions. It's confirmed that Robin Williams 
literally was inspired by Julia Child when he portrayed Mrs. Doubtfire in the movie. That is so fucking wild because I've seen Julie and Julia. Julia and Julie? I don't know, whatever. Julia and Julie. I love Mrs. Doubtfire because Robin Williams looks like my father when he's not in drag and because it's one of the few movies in the 90s that was filmed in San Francisco. Yep. And I never made that fucking connection. I made it immediately. Immediately. But it took me, it took me almost a full hour to actually hit. I w- I just knew that I knew her and I didn't know how. And then it hit and I was like, of course, Mrs. Doubtfire is one of my favorite movies of all time. And mm-hmm. that is Robin Williams right now. Robin Williams is Meryl Streep and they are both Julia and Mrs. Doubtfire. Wow. So that was mind blowing. And then I continued to watch it and I was like, actually, she's reminding me of a lot of other people too. So in my perspective, Julia Child is a combination of three people. Number one. My gigantic German bread grandmother. Number two. <laughs> like it's a dog. <laughs> number two, Susan Boyle. Do you know who Susan Boyle no, is? No, who is Susan Boyle? She is that like Scottish or Irish old lady who's like went to go on The Voice, which is like the American Idol, but for Europe, and was singing Les Mis. And she, and she like became famous. Like a, right, and she just looked all like... basically they like were when she walked on that stage everyone was laughing at her being like who is this old ass bitch on this stage like you can't do shit and then she the Les Mis started and she started singing and everyone was blown away and in tears crying and she got a record deal so she she looks like my six foot five German grandmother but she also looks like Susan Boyle okay and then she sounds and acts like Mrs. Doubtfire (laughs) and I have never related to her more in my life (laughs) I'm like, you are everything to me. You are everybody that I know. It is the most exciting thing getting to know Julia Child because her life is insane and I relate to her in so many ways and she's so inspiring and I feel like she like lives in my apartment. I love it. <laughs> you know, if she did, she'd be like, oh, honey, you know what that smell is. It's coming from your fridge. That okay, is so, so wild. There's one last thing that needs to be mentioned about Julia because okay. typically I don't promote men, but in this situation, I oh, right, truly right, right. believe that any good man in the world deserves to be recognized. Okay. I believe that. And I'm going to recognize a really good man today because her husband was the epitome of man because he was so different from what we know as man. Okay. So. You know, they met, like, when they were in, like, the, the special agents intelligence force or whatever. And they, they, it was, they were late in age. So they were, like, late 30s. They moved back to wherever, Massachusetts. She started getting into her cooking thing. He ended up retiring. She ended up retiring. And literally, their entire life after retirement was solely around her success. And there wasn't a single second that passed that he wasn't 100% on board and supporting that. Mm-hmm. And most men that are in relationships or affiliated with women that do better than them have some type of crisis over it. And well, especially in that era, too. Especially in that era. Yeah. And he was the complete opposite. Uh, he yes. supported her forever and from beginning to end to the point that he was literally the person that was attending business meetings he helped rework recipes for her tv show he washed the dishes he hauled around equipment he took photographs he peeled and chopped vegetables he stirred 
Like he did it all. Uh, and Paul? when he Paul? Paul. And when he wasn't Paul. needed, when like, when she didn't need him for her success, he was hanging out at home painting, doing photography and gardening. Okay, so here's the thing. Like <laughs> I'm uh, almost a full bottle in to my listeners. To our listeners, your homegirl is like celibate, but I'd throw down for a Paul. I'd bang it out for a Paul. I'd bang it out for a Paul. That's so... I love it. I mean, he's like dream husband, and they were like power couple, and like one of the things that she uh, is noted to have said is like, a lot of times people were like, how has your relationship survived? How has your marriage survived? Like, your entire life is dedicated to your success, and he's on the back burner, and like, how are you making through it? And she said something like, well, well... Every morning, we lay in bed, and we snuggle for 30 minutes, and we giggle, and it has really helped us through the years. Oh my god, I just got pregnant and had a baby. Oh my god, that's so sweet. They just, like, they they kept the, like, romance somehow. They just, like, loved each other. They just loved each other. And it wasn't bullshit. No, and, like, he didn't care if he was nothing and she was everything. He loved her no matter what. And that made him everything. Uh, that made him the entire world. Uh, so props to fucking Paul Child. He was a good guy. I Paul, wish there were more of them. I'm How kidding. do I find Paul Child? How do I date Paul Child? Give me children. Give me a ring. The whole jam. Can I just... Um, wait one second. I just want to make sure this gets on. I'm pouring one out for Paul. I hope you guys can hear that. <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Um, but to end on that note, there are two quotes from Julia that I, I really enjoyed that I wanted to share with the world. Um, the first one is, I was 32 when I started cooking. Up until then, I just ate. <laughs> Girl, so much same, so much same. Right? So much same. The next one is, quote, the only time I eat diet food is while you're waiting for the steak to cook. I love her. <laughs> I love her too. J'aime so, yeah. Julia Child. So that's yes. her. That's her. I am emotional. <laughs> I am so happy and want to cry at the same time. <laughs> I am so honored that you brought her upon our cast. Right? How cool is and she? I, the only thing that makes me sad is that she's not alive, so we could email her this episode. I know. Uh, in peace, Julia. Okay, so what's her zodiac sign? And I will. I have more to say about this because I actually didn't look up her birthday. I didn't allow myself to look at her birthday because I wanted to guess it, and I did not get it right. But I did get other things right, and I will tell you this I, after you tell me what you think. Can I start by? Okay, can I start by element? Is she an air sign? That was my first thought, and the answer and is she's no. not. So no my very way. first, my very first thought was there was is Gemini. no way that she is not either a, li- a Libra or a Gemini. Or, yeah, there is sure. no way she is either a Libra or a Gemini. End of story. I thought she and was she, a Gemini. Her sun sign is neither, but her rising and her moon are both. Are wait, well, tell me. Do you want me to guess them all? I want no. I just told you her rising's Libra, her moon's Gemini. Oh. <gasps> 
Yeah. I so, just, God, if I can, I don't know that I can love anybody as much as But I how funny is it that you and I would both immediately yeah. assume air, and her sun is an air, but her, le- her rising and her moon both are. Okay, so before I guess, for our listeners, the reason, I know for me, the reason I was guessing air, and specifically I would have guessed Gemini, is because those signs tend to do a lot of different things that aren't necessarily connected. We're kind of, I'm a Gemini sun and a Gemini rising, so I never get anything done. Um, but basically, like, we're just all over the place. We want to put our hand in everything, and that's so Julia. Okay. Fuck. Not an era. Okay. So, um, I mean, props to us for knowing that she had a shitload of air in her in her chart. Okay. Is she a fire sign? She is. Okay. I was going to say, if she's an earth or a water sign, I have to kill myself because none of this, <laughs> then all of astrology is a joke. Okay. She's a fire sign. Is she a Leo? Yeah. Okay. No, that makes <laughs> sense. That makes sense, though, because she just, she did it all and Leos do it all. Yeah. I didn't take her for a Leo, though. I, that wouldn't have been my first... I mean, my first guess would have been Gemini, for sure. My first guess was just either Libra or Gemini. Yeah. <laughs> Not Aquarius. So, why did you think... I get why you thought she was a Gemini. What made you think she was a Libra? You know, honestly, I I didn't actually know if she was Libra or Gemini. I just knew okay. she wasn't an Aquarius. So, it was <laughs> like... She was an air sign. But she was an air I sign. I knew she was an air sign, right, so right. it was like either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I immediately... So, like... The minute that I saw she was a Leo, I was like, there has to be a shitload of air in her sign, and you better damn believe I'm going to look that up right now. <laughs> and I did. And the very first thing I saw was exactly that. Rising Wait. Libra, Moon, Gemini. So how did you find, like, did you just Google that? I Googled. Or did you- I said, what is Julia Child, rising sign and mood sign? And, and people know that, and that's just, like, available on the internet. Yeah, that's it amazing. was available. I mean, I guess it could potentially not be accurate, but that it showed up as that was information on the internet and I felt so good about myself because I was like should we share our three things so that the internet can data mine this sure um so I'm really easy and everyone's gonna hate me because I'm a Gemini sun and I'm a Gemini rising which makes reading my horoscope really easy because I don't have to double up and my moon is in Leo so basically you should never piss me off pretty much And I am a Virgo sun sign. I am a Libra rising. And I am a Sagittarius moon. I, you know, look, I like a Virgo. Don't get me wrong. I do feel like you are the funnest Virgo I know, though. I'm going to just put it Everyone hates Virgos, and I tell everyone to go hate themselves. I don't, no one, no, everybody hates Geminis, and everybody (laughs) hates Scorpios. (laughs) And Virgos. I don't think people hate Virgos. I just think like you you have this Virgos have a reputation of being boring and you and you and other Virgos Virgo, other Virgos other Virgos I know are not that way. And so that I think that's a bullshit stereotype for Virgos. Yeah, I think it's pretty bullshit too. Did you know that um we I don't know if we're going to cut this or not. Jamiroquois rising is Virgo. Is it? Yeah. Huh. Interesting shit, right? And his moon is Sagittarius. Oh my god, him and I are very much alike. You guys are emotional twinsies. Except for I don't have so many that many hobbies. I have like a handful of hobbies. Yeah, but you both are very like uh, detached from emotion in a way that doesn't piss me off. Like, you guys are, because you can detach from emotion and be, like, a sociopath, but you guys aren't like that. You guys detach from emotion, but you're, like, healthy people. 
I hope so. I'm trying to be healthy. It's a year of the heel, 2018. Girl, yes. Handling it. Y'all, are you listening? Because it's 2018, Saturn is in Capricorn, and it's time to get our shit together, everybody. It's very time to get it's our shit like, together. Like, this is the next two and a half years. It's time for you to really lock in what your worth is and to not take anything less. <laughs> Flash forward six months later, I'm like, let's stop talking about women and let's just constantly talk about planets. Um, oh, I love it. I love it. That was well, so good. I love her we so it. much. Yeah. I love killed her. It. I love her too. Her. I've been like the whole that whole coffee thing that I had yesterday, the entire like hour was just talking about Julia Child. Which like really prepped me for this. <laughs> we're like in the next six months like all we're gonna do for our whole lives is talk about women because we're just gonna be so jazzed after every episode i'm so excited i can't wait to and i work with so many chefs i can't wait to constantly be like can we talk about julia child right constantly constantly oh i love her so much and she's tall she's a fellow tall girl hell yeah she's a she's a big lady (laughs) she a big old bitch hell yeah Yeah. (laughs) all right well it was it was nice casting with you today. Same. Hey, how much wine do you have left? Um, I have like half a glass and another half a glass in the bottle. I have a quarter in the glass left and a quarter in the bottle. That's what's up. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. Do you want to do your sign off? Well, let's take a cheers to episode two. Cheers to episode cheers. two. I just Damn, slammed you, that. You dude. slammed it. I didn't slam it because mine's red. I can't slam red. But you're not job. supposed to slam seventeen dollar wine, but no, but whatever. You know, you can take the girl out of the sleazy, but you can't take the sleazy <laughs> out of the girl. <laughs> All right. Well, it was nice. It was nice linking up with you on this rainy Sunday. Uh, um, to women and to wine. To women and to wine. I'll see you. I'll see you on the flip side, homie. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.